Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, you might have heard tell a lot of people talk about mental health. We talk about it on this show consistently since we first started doing it because it's important to talk about. It. And this is one of the people we've had on before to talk about it. It's just been a little while. She was busy moving and such, but we got her now. Dr. Catherine Gordon, we're going to call her Katie because I say Catherine in my accent. Bad things tend to happen and we're all friends now. She is an excellent uh, clinical psychologist. She is the author of the Suicide Thoughts Workbook. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Just got published in Arabic of all things. You're worldwide, my friend. Great to have you back. Thank you for having me on. I, I always like talking to you and I and I enjoy opportunities to talk about mental health. So thank you. How cool is that? It, it's one thing to get published. I remember the first time I got something published and just, you know, even online or in a publication. And I remember the first time I got something in a newspaper and I could physically hold it. And I remember the first time I got a cover at a major magazine. That's a big deal. When you write a book, that's an even bigger deal. When you get a book that they start printing in other languages, that's pretty big time. That's got to feel good, yeah? Absolutely. It, it just And I didn't know about it. I actually learned about it through Twitter because someone had, had tagged me on a tweet. So thank you, Twitter. And it, it just means a lot. Like I, I just, all of the work and effort that went into translating into another language and, and being able to provide these tools for suicide prevention and coping with suicidal thoughts to a broader audience just means so much to me. And it's got to be special when, you know, you're talking about, and you know, the Arabic languages, obviously those are countries that, you know, probably don't have as much liberalization as we do when it comes to things like mental health. That's got to really feel important to your work, doesn't it? When you're, you know, in media, we'd call it opening a new market, really. But when you when you're going somewhere that a lot of your colleagues don't get to go, that's got to feel good. Yeah, it, it means a lot. I want as many people as possible to have access to mental health tools and, and to deal with the many struggles that people face. And so that's that's huge to me to be able to open up to people who who need to read a book in Arabic. I mean, that's that's a big deal. So, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay, let's get back to the English-speaking world for a minute because I barely do English right, so let's just stick to that for right now. I tell people all the time I'm bilingual. I speak some English, and I'm fluent in Appalachian. Um, here's the thing. We've talked to you the last couple times because we had you on during the COVID times. 
we're starting to get data now. We're start the kids that went through it are getting a little bit older. We just had uh, one of the rising college kids on last week. We're learning more and more about what actually happened mental health wise during COVID, during the lockdowns, during the school shutdowns. I know there's a lot of stuff there, but just give me two or three of the top line items of the research we're seeing, both practically what you're seeing in practice. And more importantly, there's a lot of peer review going on right now about what we did right, what we did wrong, what we're learning. Just give us a couple of the headlines that we should be taking away right now. Well, the big, I, I think loneliness was an enormous public health crisis before the pandemic, and it's worsened for a lot of people during the pandemic. And what I'm seeing in therapy practice is people saying that at least at first, when everyone was kind of following the same measures, they could still connect with people. But now that people have different levels of risk tolerance in terms of masks, meeting outside, going inside, that it becomes an issue sometimes of conflict in between family members and friends in terms of what kind of social connections they're going to have. So that continues to be an issue along with kids who were out of school and returned to school in person and have anxiety, have maybe struggled with some depression, especially if their family has undergone economic hardships during this time. It's just a lot, so many stressors. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we'd like to think that it wasn't going to last as long as it has as well. So I think that the length of time that this extra stressors have been there have just led to a lot of mental health issues. Let's let's go through a buzzword here real quick, because this is something people talk about on their social media, and I'm sure they talk about it in person. And I think it's something we need to define real, real clearly here, even though it's not really definable, if that's a great sentence for a clinician. <laughs> they can figure okay. that one out. But this is just the fact of the matter is, when does something go from just being, all right, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad mood, I'm struggling today, this isn't going my way to, this is a mental health problem, I need help here. That's really the core debate to almost everything when dealing with mental health is when does it go from just, this is a day-to-day -day thing I can handle to, I need some help here. And people don't know how to talk about that line. It's a fuzzy gray line. It's a moving line. It's a moving goalpost. But that's really the core of the issue here, isn't it? I, yes, I think that's really tough because as mental health problems, at times when they're more prevalent and times when people are more openly talking about them, I think overall that's really important. That's good to reduce stigma and negative ideas about that people should feel shame for struggling with mental health. On the other hand, I think that it can make it a little harder to say, okay, I need to get help because I think then people say, but what I'm going through is so many other people are going through it too, and that's just how it is under these conditions. So one way that in psychology that we've looked at this traditionally is to look at, is a person impaired in some way? So are they having trouble working, trouble connecting with their family, trouble connecting with their partner, or trouble with friends? Is there something that, is their distress so bad that their functioning is impaired and that they're not able to have this quality of life where they're present in their relationships, where they're able to do things that are important to them. And so that's a big function. Or if the distress is so bad that the person just wants to feel better. And so I think that now what I've seen is this movement towards everyone should just go to therapy. And there's debate around that issue too. But I think that leaning on that side allows you to kind of go in 
talk to someone and see if there are some goals and things you can set to benefit from therapy, regardless of where you are on that kind of spectrum of, of mental health. Yeah. See, mental health is such a big thing. We could sit here and talk about it all day. And there's a lot of words, a lot of big buzzwords. Let's do something practical, though, with you. We're going to run through a couple of the headlines and narratives. These are big publications. This isn't fringe stuff. And just get your reaction to it, because that's what folks see every day. So maybe you can just react to it. So when they see it, because this stuff seems to be recurring, right? We see the same things over and over again. Here's a good one. This one's from NPR. Mental health in the back to school season. Now, I'm a parent. Uh, I just did registration with one of my children today. I was a little stressed doing it because I went in and they're like, oh, you got to do this all online. You didn't need to come in. Just little stuff like that. It's a good thing, though. Back to school, falls changing, routines changing, kids changing. This seems like a very valid headline to me. I agree. I think that it kind of normalizes uh, a buzzword that we like to use the common experience of the disruption that happens when you're going from summertime to school and all the things that go along with that that affect everybody in the family's routine. And so I like that because it kind of says, okay, let's talk about that. And this is a typical thing that most kids are going through. It's a positive thing in a lot of cases to go back to school, but it's stressful. And so here are some ways that you can talk about it with your family. So that I have a, an overall positive reaction to that headline. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, here's a little tougher one, but we're seeing this one a lot uh, from the New York Times. This one's about red flags for shooting, life crisis, not mental illness, experts say. We've seen this over and over again with mass shootings, but we see it with other criminality, too. We're going to, you know, every time when we have police brutality videos, like, okay, you got you're doing violence to somebody that's violence, these sorts of things. Where does the line between mental illness and criminality collide? Because there's another one that's really hard to define but we've got to have some kind of a working definition to deal with these sorts of things of like, okay, when is somebody responsible or not responsible for their behavior? This is a really hard, complicated question. I'm not just saying that to avoid answering it. I think that it's controversial with good reason, because I think there are, there are also, I should say there are differences clinically and legally, right? So legally often when you're looking is, is someone culpable of a crime, you're looking to see, are they aware of being able to tell the difference between what's right and wrong? Are they competent to stand trial? In other words, can they participate in their own defense? Do they understand the proceedings that are going on? And forensic psychologists really specialize in those types of issues. Whereas from most therapists who are working with people who are struggling with mental health problems, fortunately don't have to get into these tricky areas. So I think that it's important to keep the mental health kind of lens along with seeing how that might interact with violence. I think the big concern that a lot of therapists raise and which I agree with is the over excessive link that can sometimes happen between mental health problems and violence. Whereas most people who struggle with mental health problems are not violent. They're much more likely to be victims of violence and perpetrators. And so I think that that sometimes is lost when it's really focusing on what's the mental health history of this particular violent person and in those stories. Yeah, we're going to keep seeing that one over and over again. All right. Uh, this one's a little bit more nuanced and big picture, but I kind of like how they phrase this here. This is from Forbes. Uh, headline, all mental health roads lead to a common destination. Be your authentic self. Uh, your career field makes a lot of money trying to help people find their authentic self. But, 
I can see where that's kind of a core thing to what we're trying to do with mental health. Everybody's just trying to be the best them. And when you get away from whatever you're supposed to be, that's when you start having mental health problems. Right. I mean, that's really, really basic, but there's truth there. Absolutely. It doesn't feel good to have to get away from the things that we value. And so a lot of times therapy is focusing back on what we value, how we can be real. I think this comes up in therapy a lot with social media. If people feel like they're performing a particular identity or trying to get a particular effect on social media, that can feel inauthentic. And so sometimes people are trying to figure out how, how do I feel most grounded in myself? And I think therapy can be helpful for that because life has so many constraints. Most of us have to um, earn some money. We, we have, we can't be completely say whatever we want unfiltered at work to maintain a job. And so there are, you know, as parents, you know, it's requires effort of being a particular way. And so it's finding that authentic self within those roles that can be helpful to have someone in my profession help you to navigate, I think. Yeah. Talking to Dr. Katie Gordy. Okay. One more of these, and then we're going to move on. But uh, this is from WREL. That's Raleigh's TV station. Uh, new mental health data shows, quote, unsustainable burden on NC hospitals. And what this is driving at is rising mental health care, emergency room visits, involuntary commitments, and longer wait times for psychiatric beds. This is a wider problem in the medical field where, you know, emergency room care is really jacking up the rest of the system. This is really becoming an acute issue when it comes to mental health, isn't it? Absolutely. This is part of the problem of helping people once they've already developed severe, significant mental health problems, rather than going back to trying to prevent them in the first place by making people have access to their basic needs, that they have access to health care, to shelter, to food, to all of those things would prevent downstream, not all mental health problems, but it would reduce them significantly by reducing those stressors. And, and that those types of interventions are likely to help rather than waiting until the end when people are at the point where they're in the emergency room. Yeah, Dr. Catherine Gordon, we're going to take a quick break. We come back on her tell. We're going to get into one of her specialties, uh, pop culture references and how mental health is portrayed in commercials, even comic books, movies, TV shows, one of her favorite subjects. More with Dr. Catherine Gordon on Hertel right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're talking to our good friend, Dr. Catherine Gordon, talking a little mental health. We're going to talk about pop culture with you because this is how you you've addressed this so brilliantly in a lot of different mediums, from podcasting to your writing to other things. But before we do that, um, I saw a lot of headlines when I was doing prep for talking to you. It does seem like entertainers 
actors, stars. We're seeing more and more sports stars. We're seeing more and more um, stars in the social media and influencer realm, even executives and companies. There really does seem to be a positive movement moving towards people being open about, hey, I'm taking a mental health break. I'm saying no to this. I'm open about my mental health care. At least that aspect of this seems to be getting better. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's still really meaningful to people when they hear, whether it's a sports figure, actor, whoever it is, musician that they look up to saying that they're trying to find ways to prioritize their mental health. I think that can mean a lot to people. It, it kind of, I think that especially if you're feeling isolated or struggling with mental health problems and feeling a lot of shame about it, when you see someone you look up to express those things, it can it can help a lot. All right. So one of my favorite things to always talk about with you, pop culture, what have you been seeing and watching lately that has either a positive or negative effect on mental health that you really hit and go, oh, I'll, I've got to talk about that because that brought up, we've talked about it before. You did a wonderful piece in Ordinary Times about BoJack Horseman. We'll link to that and the other things you've wrote, you know, stuff people just don't think about and go, oh, that's a really positive thing. What's a couple of the things that have gotten your attention lately? Well, thank you. And I don't know if you noticed, but I have a BoJack poster right behind me. See, we call that a segue in the biz. <laughs> I'm just a professional like that. Exactly. Well, I, I was happy I watched this last night because I knew I was talking to you today. I watched the first episode of She-Hulk on Disney Plus, and it was a big deal in the psychology community because and the therapy community because the Hulk named a specific type of therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, that he uses to manage his anger and his distress. And so he's talking to She-Hulk about some of the principles in this therapy so that she can manage her emotions as to prevent turning into the Hulk. And um, it was a, it's a big deal because a lot of the time there it's non-specific, it's generic stuff. But here he named the therapy. He actually said that it was evidence-based. And he talked about some of the components of the therapy to her. So it was it was kind of cool to see that in such a big show. Um, another big show that just came back, Game of Thrones is back with the House of the Dragon. It brought up a whole lot of the old. Now, art is subjective and what is and isn't gratuitous is really subjective. But I've got to ask, because these are triggering things, gratuitous violence, um, depictions of sexual assault. Things like this that are in art pieces like this. This debate will always come up of, is this bringing light to it or is this glorifying it? I know there's not a hard and fast answer for that, but is there some guardrails that people should go into something like a Game of Thrones or uh, movies with violence or movies with depictions of assault? Things that are triggering the folks that we know are triggering. Is there some guardrails that can maybe know even though it's subjective of just like, okay, here's what I need to do mindset wise going into something like this. I think that broadly speaking, the question about how it's impacting our culture at large is, is an important question. I think that's harder to answer than how it's impacting individuals. I really encourage people to recognize how their own moods are affected by what they're watching, what they're reading, what they're doing and explore that because it is it's hard to miss out on big pop culture events like very popular tv shows and all of those types of things and yet it's also important to feel like it's okay to draw limits on what you 
want to watch and what you want to do. Because if you notice that you're having nightmares or more flashbacks when you're watching those shows, which won't happen for a lot of people, but if it does happen for you, then I think it, it's good to really pay attention to that and modify your what you're viewing uh, accordingly to protect your mental health. Another big time show that pretty blatantly delved into mental health. Now, uh, Stranger Things season four came out. Uh, we won't do spoilers in case people haven't watched it, but there is a character on this season who is, that's exactly what he's there for, basically talk about this stuff. Obviously, there's trauma involved because of the really weird stuff that happens in the show. And again, I don't want to do spoilers here, but it, it's weird stuff. It's kind of a play off the, you know, the satanic panic and stuff like that from the 80s, which I'm old enough to actually remember the first time. We didn't get mental health treatment for that stuff, but that's another story for another day. What about something like Stranger Things 4? Because it gets a little trickier when you have, and I know they're they're almost adults now still playing younger children, but when you have children as the main leads and you start dealing with things like that, does that change that equation or is that something that really needs to be presented on screen? Again, it's a touchy subject, but is that something because the stars of the show came out and said, no, we think it's good that they're showing kids in this light. What's your opinion on it, though? I think that it can be done poorly and be done well. And so if they have people involved in creating those scenes that are sensitive and making sure that appropriate developmental boundaries are drawn in terms of what they're doing, what they're depicting and what they're exposed to, then there can be some benefits because even though kids are not facing demogorgons, they do face other things. And so I think there could be something that's relatable, but, I, I would take some caution in terms of not wanting to exploit the shock value of what happens to kids or even the kids themselves. Again, I know they're not really kids anymore, but developmentally, I, I would want to think about what's best for them and their well-being. So while that is taking place and that being a priority over entertainment. Something I wanted to ask you, because you've done different media, you've done podcasting, you've done writing, you do interviews like this, you've done radio with me. When people are talking about mental health, because you've done all these different platforms now, so you've done a little bit of all of it. You're actually tweeting about this, kind of like where you're at in your journey yourself. What's one or two things you could give to just the normal person? They may not know, like you were talking about She-Hulk, and it's like, oh, it's a big deal they use the right nomenclature. Well, people don't know the right nomenclature. People don't know stuff like that. They just want to help people. What's a couple of just real simple ways that they could change maybe how they do their social media or their interpersonal relationships when they're talking about this stuff that you would say tweak? Is it, you know, just the the overall viewpoint on it? Is it the sensitivity on it? Is it learning a few of the few of the terminologies just so you know what you're actually talking about instead of just following a buzzword? Give folks a couple practical things they can do to to lift up this discourse a little bit. Sure. I, I think one of the the big deal things about them using the dialectical behavior therapy term is because it shows that not all therapy is created equal. And I think that's important for people to know. There are a lot of influencers, for example, who kind of can get a lot of attention and following by talking about self-help and quick fixes. And that should send off alarm bells to use some critical thinking because change as, as, most of us know have tried to make change in their life is hard. It does take particular skills and tools. So anything that seems too good to be true or a quick fix and things like that, I think that it's important to look at that critically 
and also not, you know, have some compassion for others who are struggling with mental health problems and understand that there aren't quick fixes in most cases. And so even understanding and having some compassion for the idea that it's a lot of work for people to work through mental health problems, that can be a way to get to a more authentic understanding of each other, a more compassionate place. Yeah, Dr. Katie Gordon. All right, we mentioned it earlier. I want you to tell people about it. I've actually read this when it first came out because you were nice enough to send me an advanced copy of it. I've actually recommended this to people. It's the Suicide Prevention, uh, Suicide Thought Workbook. Tell people what this is, what it was designed to do. We're going to link to it so people can get it. They can share it. This is one of those things where you probably wouldn't mind if they actually bought it and left it laying around somewhere for someone to find because that's kind of what it's designed to be. Just tell people about the book real quick. Sure. The basic idea of the book is that suicidal thoughts are really common and that through therapy and science, there are tools that can help to deal with soothing pain, soothing loneliness, and keeping yourself safe. And I have tried to summarize those in really accessible worksheets and exercises, hopefully, in, in this workbook. And, and that's what the workbook is all about. All right, Dr. Katie Gordon, one last one before we let you go. This was an internet meme that went around, but I think it's actually pretty cool because I'm actually a transportation guy by trade. So when they go transportation and mental health together, I'm like, oh, I'm there. Uh, this was a sandwich board sign. I'm going to read it to you. We'll put it up on the show as well for the YouTube viewers. Quote, tweet, treat, <laughs> tweet, uh, Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, treat yourself like I-95 and never stop working on yourself, no matter how inconvenient it is for everybody else. What do you think? <laughs> I, I think that's true. That's just, you know, I I also want to recognize that some people um, are too critical of themselves. And so it's definitely a balance that actually came up in She-Hulk. Assume people are doing their best and that they can do better. I think that's a good kind of way to look at things, to acknowledge where you've made those positive changes, but also acknowledge where you can improve. Yeah, Dr. Katie Gordon, we love having you on. Uh, we went a little lighter on topic today, but that's good because you need to be able to talk about this in a light way and then let people go as deep as they need to. And let folks know, like we mentioned, you've got some life changes going on. Let folks know what you got going on and where they can follow you until we get you back again on Hertel. And it's not going to be so long this time because that was crazy and you were busy moving and so forth. So let folks know what you got going on. Absolutely. Well, you're the first to really hear this announcement, but I've decided to start a new newsletter. I'm, I'm joining Substack um, as a, as a writer, not just a reader. And it's, it's going to be mental health minute. I'm going to launch that in September 1st because September is suicide prevention month. And the idea is to take therapeutic tools and summarize them briefly for busy people so that you can weekly in your email inbox, get something useful, hopefully that you can use that week. Fantastic. And uh, when you get that up and running in September, let us know. We'll have you on and we'll definitely talk about it. Dr. Catherine Gordon, you're one of the best. We love discussing things with you. You keep watching that pop culture stuff so I don't have to. And we'll talk <laughs> again real soon, my friend. Okay, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.